Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. And I know I say this most episodes, but I'm bloody looking forward to this one. I'm catching up with an old friend of mine, colleague, mentor, and inspiration in many ways to me, Mike Stewart. And I'll tell a little bit of story once he gets on, once he gets on and hopefully the technology is working because we were, used to work together. My first clinical leader, my very first job when I went down to Margate as a junior physiotherapist, as a new graduate. And it's just been a funny day for me today, reflecting on already, it's only a big day, isn't it? But I'm reflecting because I've just recorded a Physio Matters podcast with Rob Goodwin, who was in the Nottingham service of which I then moved to. And so it's just felt like a bit of a trip down memory lane. So one of the things I want to visit with Mike today is certainly some of that, some of that journey and also some of the education that he managed to put me through and some of the conversations we had uh, and how that's influenced me because I think that's some similarities. And I'm asked those questions all the time as to what my sort of journey's been and people trying to map their own or trying to some, somehow take some inspiration from what could be from the variety I've been able to carve out in, in a relatively short career. But I also want to pick Mike's brain on, the, on his true expertise, which of course is pain communication and becoming now an educator, traveling the world, less so this year, of course. Um, and I'm sure he'll be able to share some reflections on the way in which he's needed to adapt as many of us have. To the pandemic but if the technology allows i hopefully bring you in a couple of clicks let's hide my little frame feel naked for a second and then bring you mike stewart mike can you hear me i can i can hello jack hello everybody yes well thanks for thanks for joining me really appreciate it we don't catch up nearly as often as we used to and we don't catch up nearly as often as we should however when we do we always have a laugh and so we nearly forgot to go live then by chatting and catching up just uh, tell folk that don't that have been hiding under a under a rock and don't know about you. Tell them a little bit about what you do and, and how you've come to where you've come to in your role now. Uh, well, I'm a physio. I qualified from Bradford University as a physio in the 90s, being one of those people. I, I seem to meet other physios like me who they knew that they wanted to be a physio from an early age. I was one of those weird people who knew I wanted to be a physio from about 14. So then I, I qualified in the 90s, uh, became pretty disillusioned with physio fairly quickly and uh, then uh, I've grown into physio over the years, I suppose, through sort of uh, listening to patients, reflecting on experiences that I've had with patients, realizing that there is another side to what we do that we're not really trained about, which is maybe what we're gonna discuss today. Mm. Then that led into an interest in education, uh, particularly patient education. Uh, I went to do my master's degree at Bright University and then that led into teaching colleagues uh, locally first and then nationally and then internationally, which has been uh, great fun. Uh, and then research. Um, so um, this last year during the pandemic, I've been doing a lot of um, research in communication metaphors, just finished a systematic review with Sarah Jane Ryan at Brighton University and writing a book chapter on communication with uh, Jeremy Lewis and Peter O'Sullivan and Tamar Pincus and Gilletta Benton and um uh Stephen Loftus so I, I pinch myself daily um finding myself having colleagues like that fantastic no that's brilliant now you mentioned there traveling and international talks that you were when I first met you someone that was sort of fairly worldly wise on the on the travel level that was something that you have got that wanderlust that must have been tough for you this year having you know it's probably the longest you've been on terra firma for a long time how, how have you been getting on with that yeah, uh, I, I suppose like most people during this last year, ups and downs, really. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. I find myself at points where I'm relaxed and calm more so than I have been for a long time. Um, it certainly on reflection makes me realise the downsides of jet lag. 
um, both physically <laughs> okay. and mentally. Okay. So, uh, you know, that's it, it's not until you've sort of stepped out of that that you think, oh, actually, yeah, this is really hard on the body and the mind, uh, constantly going to different uh, time zones. Um, so I've had to adapt the way that I'm teaching. Uh, so there's been plus sides there. But then the, the big downside, obviously, is I, I don't get to meet people and have those experiences. And uh, But it's taking the small things, walking the dog in the woods, uh, going to the supermarket. I never knew I could have so much pleasure from going to a supermarket. That seems sure. to be the highlight of the week at the moment. Right, okay. I see what you mean. I mean, one of the fortunate things compared to, you imagine there is some fortune and privilege that comes from living where you live with regards to know the the opportunity to then you know, compared to someone who's stuck in a, uh, a a flat in the middle of a block of which they've then been penned into without no outside space or no ability to then venture out or if they did they couldn't go far from home uh, to actually find any grass whereas the fortune and uh, i'm in a similar sim similar level of fortune to be on uh, some great scenery and some great opportunity to, to get out into the great outdoors is, is one of the great luxuries that we've been able to well do. yeah and even even going further than that you know just having a garden you know not necessarily i'm i'm, I'm doubly lucky because we live right by the coast as you know and yeah, you know yeah. i can go out on the bike or go for a nice run and uh just mm -hmm. sort of tune out for a bit and do a bit of uh, dare we say mindfulness uh whilst out and about um but just something simple you know just uh, just sitting in the garden for half an hour uh, some no, people don't have that luxury. No, exactly. And I think that that's something that people could continue to reflect, really, and, and sometimes the amount of things we had taken for granted because of the way in which um, it's been so disruptive beyond what anyone could have imagined. Just on that, do you feel, what is your anticipation for how that's going to be, how, how that's going to have thrown off clinicians, of which, of course, you interact with an awful lot, and, and also then patients how do you think it's therefore changed those two stakeholder groups shall we say of the msk landscape it's interesting isn't it because i think you know my my speciality is communication and i i know from i've been doing lots of online courses lots of in-service courses and from speaking to clinicians about sort of how communication has changed with patients they've realized more if they didn't already the importance of communication particularly when doing teleconsultations and so that's been an interesting sort of um, uh, change, I think, for people, a shift. But I, I think for, for patients, I think it, it, from my experience, it's been one of two things. Either people have found it uh, almost easier. They've had a, re a reduced amount of anxiety, uh, you know, to, to sort of it's almost validation that their anxiety that they were living with before the pandemic is uh, is valid. And, mm. you know, that, that that it's OK to feel um, not certain about the world and about the, the mess that's uh, the swamp that's knocking about. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it will be interesting to see sort of where we get to. I mean, if we fast forward the clock, if you asked me a year ago, uh, would we have been in this situation? I'd have definitely said no. We were talking just before we went on air. I, I, I thought this would be maybe like two or three weeks break and then back to it. But the reality has dawned. Um, the question now, I suppose, is is what next? Where are we yeah. in a year from now or two years from now? Yeah, one of the reflections that we've had on this show amongst guests, but also I monologued on it last week where I admitted my concern over precautionary principle extending into healthcare for longer than the pandemic. As the pandemic ceases, the world opens up. But think, oh, well, just, you know, you guys stick with masks for a bit without thinking about the more subtle trade-offs. I've also said that on certain more complex second opinion work, subjective assessments, I would much sooner a screen be between us because then I can get the facial expressions than having the in-person interaction of, of, of two masks between us. 
I wonder what your thoughts are there. I'm not suddenly going to talk about us as if we're anti-maskers. In a sense, we understand the legitimacy, I'm sure. But it's more that I'm, I'm fearful that that just becomes a, oh, why not? You know, you just got to wear PPE now. And it's like, well, no, I think, I think there's something to be lost from our communication, from not being able to see each other's expression. Very much so. I mean, you know, nonverbal communication is crucial uh, in, in all walks of life. But I think especially when you're trying to build up a connection with somebody, which is what healthcare is all about. It's about building up a rapport. And if you don't have that rapport, then you don't have that trust. And then you can't try to alter people's beliefs and viewpoints and, um, you know, get them to see a different side, which is what pain education is all about. It's, it's shifting what you fundamentally believe based on the sensations that you're having in your body uh, and the, and the worries and anxieties that go with that. And you can't, um, I, I don't think we can hope to change people's understanding of pain if we can't build that connection. And and I don't think we can do that with face masks. It certainly makes a difficult situation even more difficult. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a tough task, which we would no doubt going to talk about anyway. So to then put any barriers uh, between that, literally, you know, in this case, physical ones, um, is, is, is only going to make that more challenging, albeit some, somewhat necessary in that, in that acute stage of, of what has been a really complex circumstance. Now, this, for this show, I really wanted to sort of visit two key things, really. One was for me to get your hot take as to you know, pain communication, your, 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 your whole modus operandi, really, uh, as to what you felt that the, the most common things that you were asked um, and mo most valuable things you perceive uh, to be transmitted right now. And then I was going to visit the fact that how we know each other and, and talk about some of the, the mentorship that, and guidance and, and how that correlates. I was actually going to do it in that order, but you've then highlighted the fact that it's probably better suited the other way, because fundamentally, our story of how we got to know each other is not dissimilar to some of the education of which you've then gone on to, to, to do beyond that. So it's about, what, the 10 years ago? That we met that's crazy isn't it uh, yeah i think i had a bit more hair back then yeah only yeah. a bit <laughs> a little bit more yeah I'm, my, my uh you see how my forehead's getting so much bigger <laughs> these days as well so i can't i can't joke um now on that just before i do i just invite those that are listening live thanks for tuning in and please feel free to send any comments and questions that you have for mike thank you so much to hilton who's also posted a a message here on LinkedIn. He said, these podcasts are invaluable, especially for some of us who are primarily long working. Yeah, thanks, Hilton. We, we do hear from a lot of people that feel otherwise isolated sometimes and, and that they do want to have things beamed into them, which is kind of what Mike was just saying about with regards to accessibility. But it also means that sometimes people do feel a bit overwhelmed. And so we know that we come thick and fast with these, but please do know you don't always have to tune in live. You can do it in your own time later, as well as then available as an audio podcast as well. But thank you. I think that's a crucial thing, you know, um, it, that idea of clinical companionship. And mm. I, I think, I know, I do a lot of teaching um, with French clinicians, with French physios, and a lot of them are alone working. Right. And that's a huge part of, of why they, again, we're back to the pandemic, why they go to a course, why they interact with other people. So it's finding a way to try and have that companionship mm. um, during these troubling times, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. So I'm, I'm going to just for a second. So please do get your comments and questions coming in. We'll definitely revisit them towards the end of this show. But I'm just going to because I'm so easily distracted. I'm just going to hide that from my view for a second. And so, Mike, let's let's go then back to, to when when we met. I was uh, I then, you know, as, as my accent suggests and my listeners know, born in the northwest, as were, as were you. Uh, which I am. Saying. But then yeah. I, I end up just our job in Margate happened to be in a foundation trust, and it was one of the few at the time that was actually a permanent post. 
And there's various reasons for that, because it was out in the sticks somewhat in Thanet, in that essentially there's a recruitment challenge. Now, I only accentuated that by how quickly I then did go on for leave, admittedly. However, I couldn't believe my luck that when I did my first MSK rotation, I ended up uh, under in your, in your uh, team. That is such a fortuitous thing, but it's also something that then I ended up being rude enough to keep you after hours, uh, asking questions, somewhat arguing, and just challenging this notion that I just felt like you were you were over, you were confronting me with things that were such a, a different heuristic, a different way of seeing things, a different model. I was hearing you through the curtains and other colleagues. Alex Relton's a great example of that. I was hearing the way that you guys were practicing and getting some great results and just realizing that this is not something that felt at the time compatible with the training that I'd had even recently. So that was that was what we did. And, and I just wonder, when you reflect back on those times, if you can recall them, as to is that something that was a, a familiar experience? Does, did everyone go through that? And then if not, what was the difference? No, I, I think you stood out definitely because I, I think a lot of a lot of people who come out they don't really know what they want, and I think that can sometimes be an advantage, sometimes a disadvantage. But um, you you definitely knew you struck me as somebody who you you knew what you wanted in terms of your career uh, from an early stage, and you weren't afraid to challenge, you weren't afraid to ask questions, and. Um, that that made you stand out as somebody who uh, you know I, I was easy to engage with was to, was uh, was nice to sort of start to have conversations about the challenges that you see in practice and the reflections that you have and it was just I, I've always enjoyed mentoring I've always enjoyed trying to empower um, people in a clinical role and I, I think the way that we can do that as people who are more senior and and people who've been out on the road for a long time is to share experiences and help you to go through the experience and the journey that we've had. I mean, I've, I certainly, um, as I said at the start of this talk, that, that I came out of university thinking that I had the answers, hmm. which I think now, now that I lecture and I lecture here in the UK and overseas with undergraduate, particularly physio students, and we see the same thing. It's it's that repetition and, and um, of, People who think that they've got the plan, they think that they've got the understanding of what to do with patients, and then it all comes undone when you get out into uh, the big world, and that can be a really hard thing. And I found that challenging. So um, I've always wanted to try and uh, help others go through that process e in as easy way as possible. And yeah. that process begins with people like yourself who ask questions and challenge. Sure, but I, I think when I'm asked the question is to tell him I my tale and, and i talk about the good fortune that i had I, i'm always sort of fairly regularly they then say i wouldn't want to be that annoying so they, they hear of what i did and that, that i say oh yeah well then mike was kind enough to give me some time after hours and we just discuss these things and and he'd really challenge me and he'd then give me some resources and reading for me to then do that and i'd bring that back and stuff and it's just like i've never want to i'm encouraging them to be that inquisitive and hmm. they then can't help but say well, you sound like you were a bit of a pest. And I'm like, well, that's, I need to ask the man himself, really. Like, were the times where when I was doing that and you were needing to, yes, you know, mentoring and, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that it wasn't all bad. But generally speaking, I did, did I take advantage of your time? And did I, did I do that badly? No, I don't think so at all. I think, you know, again, these, the, if you're going to facilitate and guide somebody, um, what you want more than anything else is somebody who's passionate 
and wants to be guided and wants some uh, and that begins with people who like yourself are challenging and uh, coming back to france i do a lot of teaching in france and it's this sort of love-hate relationship i love the way that they're so passionate you know you say are there any questions and there's like 50 hands up and you're there for two and a half hours beyond when people would normally want to go home but they're <laughs> having you know big discussions that continue on into the into the pub afterwards so uh, you need that i think we need that degree of passion and sometimes that can be lacking and um i i i think my role is to empower others and uh, most definitely now in what i'm doing with clinicians and with patients and i i think on reflection over the years to empower somebody else you have to first of all be prepared to lose power and i think some of that some of that loss of power as a clinician or as a tutor, as a teacher, as a mentor, is um, uh, losing losing that ability to to sort of think that you have the answers, to sort of listen to other people's perspectives and and try and understand it from from their angle, from what they're going through. From yeah, because one of the things that really stuck with me, and I, I can feel like someone that doesn't necessarily remember things verbatim, it feels like that is something that's sort of etched in my memory. Is when you sort of said to me that you said, to be honest, Jack, what I'm suggesting might be part of your communication with patients isn't that dissimilar to what we're doing now. You said maybe you probably need to speak a bit slower than you do, Jack, but fundamentally you'd be asking those sorts of questions and to start to uh, and, and invite them to ask these questions of you that you are me and that fundamentally this is just you sat across from someone, they know what they know, you know what you know, and you're eliciting that information regardless of what it is. And the reason that's ended up cutting so deep for me, and I remember it so well, is because I then applied that same principle to becoming a podcaster and you being one of my first guests on this, not this show. Yes. But, you know, it's like th that for me was fascinating because that was a that was a, a massive change in that that power dynamic that you describe it, whereby it was it was a true side by side. There was never a, there was never a that melted away the hierarchy just melted away almost especially when i had put into action what you described there and and, and then i've been in ms care ever since that really did make me then double down on on my plans for that do you do you feel that those similarities are far more than the distinctions between educating clinicians educating patients working with rather than you know do you think that that, that if you continue to blur those lines i guess is what i'm asking very much so i mean you know i i give my msc in in education and the whole thing i mean i i talk to now who are my colleagues the other lecturers at brighton who are my lecturers on the msc right. and i remember there being a point in time thinking hang on all of these ideas about how to become a better teacher um, which are based around the notions of becoming a better teacher for student physios or student right. uh, healthcare professionals. These are all the same theories. These are all the same ideas that apply day in, day out in clinic with patients. Um, so what you've just said just then, you, you said the idea that, you know, pointing out something that you've done before that you've succeeded in and you've had a positive experience with and helping somebody see the connection we should be doing that all the time with patients. You know, this exercise, this thing that we're talking about, this is not dissimilar to what you did two or three weeks ago and you found it really beneficial. So helping people to see those associations and links um, to positive experiences is a is a, a huge thing, which any teacher will tell you is a, an important part of being a teacher and a facilitator. Mm. And, and um, I, I think that brings me back to one of the, key problems i think in healthcare is is that assumption that we can teach 
that right. we naturally can teach because um, you know we have a qualification in physiotherapy and I, I think uh, that mentality I see a lot of and it causes huge problems because of course pain education is is not easy it's very complex and we often spend lots of time learning about the pain side of things and then we don't learn about the education side of things right. and uh, and i think that causes uh, enormous problems in practice and and i think you know i often get across to people that if if you want to make your life easier as a clinician and you want to help more patients then i see a lot of clinicians who burn out a lot because they're they're teaching by plowing information into people's heads it's almost like they open the head and pour in that knowledge <laughs> And it's almost like on repeat 15 times a day. And, and I know because I've done it, that in the end gets you. It's exhausting. You burn out. Um, and it's not quite so effective. People don't recall the information very well. So uh, I always start with, you know, would you like to make your life easier? If you want to make your life easier, you've, you've got to start to think about how to lose some of that power and enable people to have more power, enable the right. patient or the, uh, you know, a, a colleague like yourself to have more power. And it becomes then more reciprocal. It becomes more engaging. It becomes more exponential, experiential, um, in that you're participating with a patient rather than being didactic. Is that the is that the, the that's the it? That's it. And, to what you describe it. Yeah, and you, you're not afraid. You know, you're you're relaxed. You're calm. And we know if you look at the evidence, where does the best performance take place? The, it always takes place in a in a relaxed and motivated sort of quadrant. So, uh, you know, I always refer to it when I'm working with patients and clinicians. It's the sort of Bob Marley therapy thing. It's sort of relaxed and positive. If, if you watch people like Peter O'Sullivan, for example, or Laura Mosley or Jeremy Lewis with patients, it looks like two friends in a coffee shop having a chat. Yeah. And that again, if you if you look at the best educational moments that you're seeing, it, it shouldn't feel like there's this I'm higher than you are. Uh, and, you know, you listen to what I'm going to say, I'm going to teach you. That's not how education works. It's about drawing out, as you say, educare, which means to draw out things from within people. Mm. But without those teaching skills, I think um, clinicians who are trying to teach other clinicians often sort of have that very didactic i'm going to tell you what you need to know sure. and um we do it with patients we see it all the time with patients so it's 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 having that shift yeah well i mean obviously on an education level i so agree with that it's one of the reasons why doing long-form conversations and interviews and, and trying to break the mold of the the two-day didactic talk course or the modules in which it's seminar based and and and, and, and essay driven um, and we tried to disrupt that, of course, many years ago with with your help, and and continue to uh, with, through through just you know changing the face of what might be in terms of style of delivery on events. What do you think are the key things that edu that, that clinicians come to you on your courses? What what because you've mentioned before the fact that they're often really quite exposed to the fact that they hate it when a patient has a blank stare or starts to get irate and things like that. What are the things that, that are the highest priority concerns, the most recurrent things that people bring to you as being a thing that they are seeking your help to, to solve? Uh, I, I always ask people when I teach them, I always say, you know, what's your learning wish? What do you want to get from the course? Mm. And um, I've, I've got themes based on those from teaching all over the world, really. And, and it, they all seem to be very similar. I think regardless of where people live or whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a psychologist or a physio, the themes are very similar, which is... Um, wanting to get better at empowering people, wanting to understand 
how communication plays a part in either having a positive or negative outcome with patients. Um, so uh, uh, developing teaching skills seems to be a big thing. You know, how much do I challenge this person? How much do I support them? Um, so uh, there's for a lot of people, there seems to be a, a, an innate awareness of those lack of skills, what the studies have shown, no wonder we have a lack in them, less than 1% of our training is spent looking at these concepts. We, we, we automatically think we're given them when we are granted with our degree qualifications. Um, so there's an innate awareness um, based on experiences with patients that I don't have the answers. I don't know how to educate these people and change their understanding of the world um, through pouring information into the head. How do I adapt my style? How do I adapt um, mm. to different people? Uh, how do I get more playful and creative with what I do? And I, I think that's one of the, the nicest things that I get from teaching people is, is I get emails from people who say, you know, I was really bored in what I was doing. And now the world has been opened up and I realize that actually there's not this linear formulaic thing of I do this, I do this, and then this is supposed to be the outcome, but it's not actually what I'm finding is happening. So instead, the people are going off piste, they're having fun. And, and it having fun brings us back to where does best performance, optimal performance takes place when you're relaxed and positive? It's that Bob Marley therapy thing again. So yeah, yeah, it's called many different things, isn't it? People talk about flow state or just understanding yeah. that you're close to your purpose and there's a bit of a je ne sais quoi. It's difficult to sometimes put your finger on that. What what people are often concerned about, and I know it's something you've spoken to before, but I know I hear on a regular basis when people look at our now body of work or at least the core philosophy of which we, we, we promote to try and raise standards in MSK practices, that, that it's too exposing in a sense, that the admission for them to be more vulnerable in front of patients and to not therefore infer that they have the answers is something that they're constantly fearful that the patient will just lose confidence, lose hope. They want someone to be that leader uh, rather than a participant. What's your sort of um, take on, on, on those concerns and how to potentially counteract it if you do disagree with the, that assertion? I, yeah, I completely get it. Uh, and in fact, I had a really interesting experience, just a, a nice little anecdote. I was teaching a group of chiropractors and um, we were looking at uh, a lot of what I do is is helping people understand what they can do to help patients when they use their own metaphors. So we were talking about, for example, if your patient says, I feel like I've hit rock bottom, what do you do? How do you therapeutically work through that to help them? And um, there were two chiropractors and I didn't realize that they worked together in the same clinic. And one of them took to it like a duck to water. You know, the, the metaphor would be they were sort of going, oh, dear, this is this is really helpful. This gives me some sort of pointers as to what I can do. And the other guy was sat next to him going, you know, I, I don't hear my patients. They don't talk like this. And his colleague said, they do talk like this. We have the same patients. You just don't, <laughs> want, it. You don't want to hear it. You know, and and it comes back to that same thing of uh, I, I, I meet some clinicians who they realize that they're in a job that is different to what they expected, different to what they were trained for. They were trained for mechanics. And actually, a lot of it is about communication and the human being and psychology and sociology. And that they don't feel comfortable around that. I, I think, and we wrote about this in the book chapter that we've just finished, that um, I, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that that what we do is complex and it does involve communication and education and psychology and sociology. We have to sort of consider those factors in what we do. 
But at the same time, we have to also recognize that some people, it's just, it's not why they came into the job. It's not their personality. Right. It's not, it's not what they, they're, they're not going to naturally, it, it's not going to be a natural fit for them to sort of look at this type of approach with patients. They're not comfortable with it. Uh, and I think that brings us back to what we've been talking about in this chat, that some, someone like my job is to make, help those people feel more confident at making that shift and seeing where those associations can be and realizing that they don't have to lose all of their previous skills. And one of the problems that I have, I suppose, when I saw it on social media a lot, is that these people sometimes get shot down. So rather than having an ability to change and, and um, face the challenge through, uh, uh, through sort of some mentoring and recognition of that challenge, right. um, they get shot down and then they sort of embed themselves further within that mindset that they've currently got that's it yeah if it's if it's too overt a confrontation especially with something that's sort of um very public then that can just make people double down and regress and and, and not necessarily develop and learn because the inquisitive spirit that we talked about at the start that i'm quite I'm pleased that that's how it came across for me rather than just being a nag i was always wondered if i was metaphorically the the, the kid pulling on your shirt um asking why uh, because essentially i feel like especially for a few months i was that guy but as i came to realize that that the it was the act of then going out and practicing that and then learning from it and then bringing those reflections back meant that it was no longer a case that that might give me the next thing to learn it was let's reflect on this together and that just seems to have been something that's then bled into my practice and what is considered contemporary msk thoughtful msk practice these days which of which you've been an incredible pioneer i still can't believe that it was a couple of years later whereby one of my colleagues then in Nottingham said, oh, I think you'd enjoy this. And it was an evening lecture to you because he's like, you talk all about metaphor. And it's like, yeah, I talk about it because this is my guy. So um, for us to then be able to bring that back together and then to share some of your work and to watch No Pain Develop has just been an absolute privilege and continues to be. Um, just point people to where people can find out a little bit more about you if you would, mate. Yeah, uh, the website is nopainkowpain.co.uk. Uh, and you'll find there's a load of free resources there. Lots of um, we've we've tried to build up sort of a a catalogue of patient narratives and clinician clinician narratives. So trying to again that clinical companionship, hearing stories from other people and uh, how that can change. And that's been really nice. You know, I've recently had Radio Four get in touch to um, get in touch with one of the patients who wrote her story on the website. So it's nice that we get um, you know this this message gets increased through the media and through yeah. um, people like yourself um, trying to sort of change the way that we think about pain so yeah the website's got a, a number of things there there's some live online courses that we've got coming up uh, in may and june so there's some dates there if anybody wants to get involved with those and it's it's been nice for me during the pandemic to try and uh, establish how am i gonna I'm, I'm somebody who likes teaching in a room with people so I've had to really adapt to teaching online. So we found some really nice, fun ways to get creative and uh, engage with people. And so you don't feel like you just sat in a room and were apart. Um, so that's it's been nice, the feedback when trying to engage with people better online. I've heard some good things on that because no pain courses are famously so, so many interesting tasks and, and participation elements to it that for me to be hearing the feedback that those have been able to be not just replicated, but enhanced by some of the virtual tools has been has been brilliant to hear so uh, congrats on that because i imagine yeah. adapting your course compared to adapting some of the others that are more didactic you could kind of understand that that'd be more straightforward but i'm pleased to hear that the, the feedback continues to be 
dizzy heights sky high. I mean, I don't know if you'll be, you're probably too modest to want to share it, but your, your course participant feedbacks over many years is in the dizzy heights of sort of nearly, nearly full marks. From what I I, well, I, I, I pinch myself. I, I just I, I think, again, it comes back to sort of that. I'm always my job is to make sure that people haven't wasted two days of their life when they come to a course that they. <laughs> and that's why I think it's really important to sort of tailor the course to people's learning needs. Uh, so to begin with, you know, what is it you want? And again, bringing back to patients, that's always the first crucial thing. What do you want? How can I help? And not just paying lip service to those questions, but actually then following through with uh, with the way that we work. But yeah, it it makes you know we were talking before about the the challenge of travel and jet lag and all those things. So the, there have been moments over the years where I've thought, oh, this is this is uh, too much. This is really quite hard, quite challenging on the body and the mind, all that travel. But actually, it's those it's those nice feedback and those emails that I get that that make it worthwhile keeps it keeps it going um, as, as if we've planned it we've got testimonials pouring in mike liz bailey love mike he changed my practice in a oh day. thank you liz pennies dropping there emma mcpherson always great to listen to you Mike. hi emma thanks very much yeah. that's lovely love this conversation and i suppose one thing that, that i want to just i won't get too much here and uh, i did uh, i do think especially on a nostalgic day like this as i mentioned with speaking to you and rob goodwin i don't want to burst into tears but fundamentally the way in which people have had these these experiences with your education and also the way in which you've helped us all through this and, and been, a, been a real guide through it. The fact that I can, I can give testimony to the fact that that doesn't, that, that's something that can go even deeper and that when we work together, that uh, the way in which you were then able to turn that into to mentorship and influence and the way that that's then left fingerprints on my career, but also in an empowering way, in a way that then didn't make me then be craving phone calls every five minutes because you gave me the tools in order to be able to flourish and continue to apply those to other elements of my life is something that I'll, I can never thank you enough for. And so uh, please know that because it's uh, incredibly important to me. Oh, it's lovely to hear and very kind. Thanks very much. But um, I'm, I'm just... You know, I, I read uh, there was a autobiography, Commander Chris Hadfield, the, the NASA astronaut, and he was talking about the way that people choose NASA astronauts. And he, he says it, it's all about being a zero. You don't go for a plus one. Plus ones are the sort of people who think they know it all and are sort of cowboys and uh, taking lots of risks and chances. The minus ones are incompetent and don't know anything. It's the, it's the sort of... It's the people in the middle. And I suppose in a sense, that sort of comes back to what we've been talking about today is uh, not seeing yourself as a superior as somebody. And that's important when you're with a patient, you know, um, not sort of pleasuring yourself with your knowledge. I see lots of this. I, I've coined the term knowledge masturbation, but people who are, you know, they, they pleasure themselves with what they know at the expense of the of the person in front of them. And whether that's a, a student or a colleague or a patient, so I think sort of um, being that zero, I think that's a really good sort of approach in life. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think the only way to really put that to the test and to know you're not doing that is to participate, to engage, to discuss, to converse, to have that back and forth and to therefore open yourself up to that challenge. Whereas if you were, have, if you had the blinkers on, you, you're not going to realize well, know, with that in mind with what you don't know. There's another thing, and I got I love it when I learn things from patients and from students. And I had a student a while ago uh, in America who said that they um, to to understand whether they were understandable, they had audio recorded themselves in practice, and then they got their nan to sit down and listen back and give them feedback. And you know, because your your nan is the best person to sit there going, "Stop showing off, 
stop showing off you know <laughs> what do you mean by this using those big words so yeah. I, that was a that was a lovely sort of uh, idea oh interesting no that's uh, that's such a brilliant way of thinking about it as well because you want someone and nan is a good proxy because you want someone that that's got your true best interests at heart not to overinflate something because that would leave you vulnerable but also to make sure that then you are that you're not going to get your nan's never going to tear you down to, to your foundations either it's like a, a sweet spot of wanting you having your best interests at heart and if you can pursue that and be more nan uh, then applying that for mentorship <laughs> for students and for patients is only going to then yeah. do as do as good isn't it well let's leave it there because i'm in overtime and i'm taking up more of your time than i uh, than i asked for so thank you as ever really appreciate it and we'll, we'll catch up soon mate. absolute pleasure lovely to see you and thanks for joining in everybody well, look forward to us being able to have a beer in uh, in Thanet, by the way. Oh, I've got I've got a camper. I'm getting a I'm putting me a camper van together, mate. So you're gonna not be able. Oh, to come on, Thanet come on down. We we can <laughs> we can take the dog and the cats out for a, a little trip in the camper van. Lovely, brilliant, lovely, and love to, love to Chris, and I'll speak to you soon, Paul. Right. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Bye.